Cool. This is Chris McMillan. Chris has a, uh, an important word, I feel like, for where our church is. This is the season we're in, kind of a transition, moving into a new building and all that stuff. So, Chris. Thanks. Hey, guys. So, um, like Stuart said, and we've been talking about, we're about to move into a new building, which is great. We've been here for about six years, six years in June. And one thing my dad wants to do is he wants to help pastor people as we go through this season. It'll be a transitional season, which is kind of, you know, a catchphrase for anything people don't like. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, we want to try and keep you guys on board. Right now, we don't have a whole lot of practical details about the move um, that we can really talk about because it's kind of a bunch of moving targets. But um, I want to help a little bit on the spiritual side. Um, and some of this came from the men's meeting, which was kind of improv last week. So now I've got notes, and it'll be probably awkward. Um, so I've, I've seen in my life, and I've seen in some close friends' lives, that uh, uh, people, if they don't know what's going on, will have a tendency to quit in the middle of transition. They'll, they'll get frustrated, and they'll give up. Um, and they won't even know that they were in a transition. They just think, man, life is horrible. This is not where I want to be. This is not where I wanted to be, uh, I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to quit. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to find a new job. I'm going to, you know, whatever. Um, so what I want to do is I want to try and help you guys identify some of the feelings that you have and some of the things you notice when you're in a period of transition, which uh, uh, the, the concept I'm using for transition is something is dying or something is ending and something is beginning. But usually the new thing doesn't begin until the old thing ends. We're going to move out of this building and move into a new building, but we're going to move out of our office building and out of our kids' building before, probably before we're in, in that building. So there's going to be some, you know, some juggling, all that. But anyways, so some of the things you can feel is you can feel antsy, you can feel unsettled, you can start feeling disconnected relationally, you can feel like maybe you don't connect um, uh, spiritually to, to people. You can feel, uh, start to feel left out of things, start to feel left behind. Um, you can have a tendency, and this is a little bit of a spiritual thing. Um, lots of times when churches go through transitions, we pick up on it a little bit more spiritually or subconsciously before we do consciously. And so we can start getting unnecessarily offended at people, unnecessarily hurt, um, we can start seeing uh, people doing other things that we really want to do and wish we were doing those. We can see people leave and be jealous that they're going to do a new thing. Like the Woodfins are going to do something they've always wanted to do. They want to raise their kids in the country. He's wanted to have his own business. But people could be dissatisfied right now with where they're at and think, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move. you know. So um, I've got one buddy who went through about three or four of the same situation because he just kept quitting. And finally, he just got worn out and stopped leaving places and stopped leaving jobs. And, you know, it worked out. Um, so relationships can start to feel hard. One thing happening here is we're going to get busy trying to get into that new building. And... Uh, Thing you know, uh, there's no guarantee that we'll be doing as many of the 
let's just say, for example, men's meetings, women's meetings, we might be busy doing more work events. So it could feel like there's going to be more work and less just hanging out. Um, uh, so some of the reasons why I can feel this way is because we're going through some natural changes. You know, when you go through um, relational changes, let's say you were dating somebody, about six months, it gets awkward. You start feeling, am I going to move on? Am I going to move forward? You know, you get engaged, your engagement period starts feeling, to me, my engagement period starts feeling more and more stressful until we got married, right? Then we get married, it's a new season. Then it gets, after a few years, it gets weird, we start having kids, you know? <laughs> that gets weird for about a year, two years. But anyways, there's kind of a natural thing of going in and out of phases, and it's, it almost always feels like the worst right before it gets, gets the best. Um, so in the middle of transitions, there's, there's, a, uh, there's a challenge that we face, and it's an identity challenge. Um, the Lord starts to change our, challenge our identity, and the enemy starts to confront our identity. Was it Randall? Or no, it was, was it you, Andy, that was speaking out of um, Jesus in the wilderness a couple weeks ago? Um, so God will challenge our identity because he's trying to show us who we really are. And he's trying to get us less dependent on what we do, who we think we are, and how we think we act, and how we think we operate, and get us into um, what he really wants for us. You know, when we go to new, um, if you go to a new job, you can't always use the same skills that you had your last job. So a lot of times the Lord is actually taking us out of what we're relying on and, uh, and starting to show us what we really can and should do for this, this new season. So, um, another thing, uh, Andy was telling me a few months ago that, um, Regarding uh, worship music, when he can't find worship songs that he likes anymore, he realizes that that's because he's about to step into a new season personally of writing worship songs. It's because the Lord's having a new conversation in his heart that he's not hearing or seeing, uh, you know, in in the greater community because it's something personal. So, all of that. What do we do? When we're going through transition or we're starting to feel this frustration, we're starting to feel uncertainty, what do you do? One thing is first we recognize this is because I'm going through some sort of season, I'm going through some sort of transition, this is not indicative of things going wrong. This, is not in, indi- this doesn't indicate that I, did, I made the wrong choice. This is just a season of life. This is actually how I get to the next thing. This is how I get where I want, want to be. So we recognize that and we quit making knee-jerk reactions. One thing we do is we, if you're addicted to control, you have to give up control. You know? And a lot of us are. But control, especially if you can think of it, humanistic control just kills everything it touches. You know, if you try and control your spouse, you might as well just hit yourself in the head with a hammer. Because it's going to hurt worse. Right? Um, so, yeah, we want to try and give up control, which means um, w- being willing to, uh, to commit internally to a situation for 
long enough for you to see it kind of resolve and then make decisions. Does that make sense? Does that make sense to anyone? Um, that's, that's one thing I had to do for a long time. I was at a job for, I was at another church and I love the church, but uh, I was kind of over my head a lot and I had to, the last three or four years there, I had to every year have a come to Jesus moment and basically decide I'm not going to make any decisions about whether or not I leave until the situation changed, you know? And so I didn't decide I was going to leave when it was awful. I finally decided to leave when it was actually great and when the Lord said, hey, there's actually a great opportunity to do what you've got in your heart for long term. Um, uh, one thing that can help is if you take the time to try and remember how the Lord has guided you in your life. Um, people don't always hear the Lord. A lot of people never have heard, I haven't heard the Lord's audible word. But there's been times in my life where I really felt the Lord was saying, be a part of this, do this, or I could feel him just saying, this is good. And so when you're in a trying situation and you're trying to figure out what to do, one of the best things to do is just go back and say, when's the last time I felt the Lord on what I was doing? You know, if you're at a place and you felt like the Lord said, be there, or if you, let's say you were at a job or you're in some ministry thing or you had some, some friendships or or there's something, and you really at some point felt the Lord was, was touching that, and you haven't felt anything else from him on any other area since then, then revisit that. Ask the Lord, did you have, you know, obviously you had me here, it was good. Is there a next step, or is there not a next step right now? If there's not, then how can I see this for what it is, and how can I be involved in a healthy, pure, clean way? Um... Another thing that helps is if you can start trying to seek the Lord not for an answer in your situation, but try and seek him on the greater scale. You know, Proverbs are great for that. Start seeking the Lord in a way that he can speak to you. Um, Because honestly, our, our issues are rarely his issues for our lives. You know, I heard someone say it's not what you, and it could have been Randall last week, it's not what you don't know that usually screws you up, it's what you think you know. That screws you up. So lots of times when we're going through uh, issues, when we're in a hard season of our life, it's not always that season that's hard, but it's something has caused us to focus on something that's harming us. You know, so you seek the Lord. You say, you know, Lord, show me what you're thinking about in my life, or show you know, show me, you know, uh, the disciples had direct access to Jesus, but it was rarely them saying, hey, Jesus, what do you think about healing? Or, or hey, Jesus, what do you... Th-? You know, they weren't asking about Levitical law, as far as we know. They were following him around, and he was telling them what he wanted them to know, how to learn, how to live, how to love. So that can help a ton. That can bring a ton of peace, is just trying to connect with him on his terms, which uh, I, was, I was at a, a youth conference, and the lady was talking about how to... I was working. I'm not a youth. I'm 34. Uh, she was talking about how to read the Bible. Because all these kids got saved, and all they knew is, you know, they're not trying to uh, do drugs and fool around anymore. She said, you just read your Bible till you get something, till something makes sense. And once something makes sense, you feel like you're really connected, feel like you're okay. You, you're connected with the Lord via, via that. You don't have to turn into a huge scholar. So as it pertains to Queen City... Um, 
what I would like people to do, if, if you feel like you're a member here, if you feel like you're really a part, if you've got a heart for what's going on, um, I would like you in this season to start, um, to one, step up your prayer for Queen City. We're not really worried that anything's going to fall apart. My, um, my biggest concern, I'm in the middle of, I do production for a living. I do a lot of church production. I see a lot of church politics and all the behind the scenes stuff. What I'm not worried about is us moving into a new building and us paying the bills and getting the remodeling done and hanging PA systems and lights and stuff like that. What I'm concerned with is that people won't um, get lost in the process. You know, like my dad this, this month is not really speaking because he's trying to focus on all that. We've got guys coming in and uh, sharing some great stuff. But we really want people to not get left behind. So as a member, one thing you can do is you can decide, I'm not going to, in this season over the next two, maybe three months, I'm not going to get discouraged. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to check out. I'm not just going to show up, lift my hands when the worship goes on, drop it, you know, money in the bucket. But I'm going to connect with people. I'm going to ask people how they're doing. I'm going to, if they look horrible, I'm going to tell them how they're doing. They're doing great. You know? Uh, I'm going to pray for people. I'm going to ask them if they need help. I'm going to look for people who need friends and try and befriend them. Those are all great. Um, Making a spiritual stand for this community is important. Deciding that um, sometimes I just decide internally that I'm going to stand for something and don't really know how that affects too much. I do that in my my house and it just adds stability. If you just decide I'm going to be a stable person, I'm going to add stability for the people around me, you know, That'll help. Um, one thing that help, can help is as we start moving and doing stuff, pitch in. People who are looking for relationships. The truth is there, there's probably four main ways we build relationships here in the church. And these are not in order of, of uh, priority. Uh, you meet people here at church. That's probably the hardest place to make relationships is in this building today. And the reason is people are hungry when they leave. They came because they're trying to get spiritually fed. People tend to look for their friends in church because who wouldn't want to be around their friends, someone they love, when they probably don't see them the rest of the week. So people are, are usually not coming and trying to make friends. If you can try a little bit harder to make friends, it might be, it might be worth it. Um, men's meetings and women's meetings are another way. I think those are probably two of the best ways to make friends, but they only happen at most once a month. Um, the other way is, uh, I, I know a lot of, and this doesn't really help single people, parents with kids wind up meeting each other lots of times, especially if they have, you know, nursery age kids, they wind up meeting as they're in the nursery, um, dropping them off. There's, there's also the youth group, there's a, a young adults thing that, that Abby's doing. Um, but for the most part, if you're looking for friends, you're going to have to kind of be aggressive. And if you want to help people, just ask someone to lunch afterwards today. You know, stay a little bit longer and try and talk to someone. Go ahead and be awkward with it. I feel awkward and I'm up here. Um, I hate public speaking. And I need water. So throw dry. Um, I think I kind of roughly touched on everything. One thing uh, I always try and tell people when I'm in a meeting, especially if we're 
dealing with any type of change or anything is one of our core beliefs here at Queen City, and this should be a core belief for your life, although probably altered to personalize it, is um, we're not asking or trying to convince God to do something for us. Queen City is not the brainchild of Robin McMillan or John Mark and Sarah McMillan, Eric and Amanda Hurchin, or anyone else. It is literally something that the Lord impressed on our hearts to do because he was going to do it and he was looking for someone to help out. And so Queen City is not, this church is not something we're trying to maintain. It's something the Lord really is doing and we're just trying to keep up. We're just doing our part. And uh, what that means is you guys are not something that needs to beg the Lord for help. Because Queen City is not an organization, it's a body of people. It's a group of people. So if you're here and this is your church, and you're not just visiting, this place is here because God wanted to be involved in your life, and he wants to make your life worth living. He wants to give you a future. He wants to give you a hope. He believes in you. So that's why we're here. That's why you're here. All right? So anytime you think about your spiritual life, your regular day-to-day life, or you think about Queen City and what's going on, we're not begging God to do something. We're not hoping it doesn't fall apart. I'm not hoping my personal life doesn't fall apart because God has consistently invited us into what he's doing, which is restoring lives, which is giving people life, which is giving kids a place to come and learn and love him and have safe family relationships, a community that'll, that'll raise them. Um, so that's pretty much it. So let me, uh, let me just pray really quick. Is this, does this make sense to anyone? Has anyone gone through some stuff? I just want to pray that, um, uh, and I'll do it now. Lord, we just ask, knowing that you're a good father, knowing that you love us, knowing that, um, you're just looking for ways into our lives. You're just looking for permission to move. So we're giving you that right now, and we're even, uh, we're even being humble as much as we can. And we're just asking, Lord, come and seal our hearts. Lord, give us, uh, give us confidence in you. Um, make us stable. Make us uh, men and women of faith. Make us aggressive for, uh, for you. And for the uh, everyone around us, and just help us out in your name, Amen. Amen. Guys, this is Eric Hurchin. Uh, he's a great guy. <laughs> Known him for ten years now, something like that. Uh, he's a designer. He's worked with uh, a few different churches and organizations. Um, he's a great teacher. Actually, he's a teach school. It's kind of scary. Here he is. Thanks, Chris. And seriously, thanks, Chris. That was awesome. Um, how many of you guys totally got something from that? I definitely did. That was so good. Um, just uh, just to, to reiterate, if you're new here or you've only been here a couple times, the pastor is not me. It is uh, Robin McMillan. And uh, he has not been here for about five weeks. Is that four weeks? Um, well, he's, he's been here, but he hasn't been in the pulpit. Um, basically because during this transition where there's a lot of moving parts, 
So Robin's presence has been very, very needed in the day-to-day, getting things together. And we, we, we felt like the best thing that we could possibly do was to give him space for that. And, uh, and he graciously accepted, which was awesome. Um, so my name is Eric, like, uh, uh, like Chris said, and I am a designer. And um, I'm not professional, so give me just a little bit of a uh, little, little area there, if, if, if that's cool. Um, so what I want to do today, I want to try to, um, to, to, to go as fast as possible. What I want to talk about today is I kind of want to dovetail with what John Mark McMillan said, uh, about two weeks ago. How many, just out of curiosity, just so I, I know where we are here, how many of you guys were here for John Mark's, um, message, uh, about two weeks ago? Raise them high. I really, this really would help. Okay, so... A little bit over half. <laughs> awesome. Okay, cool. Well, uh, for those of you who are not here, John Mark spoke a little while on the kingdom of heaven. And, he, and, and basically what he did was he took us back to what he termed and what I agree with is the idea that we should always bring ourselves back to the fundamentals of Christianity, the fundamentals of Jesus following, the fundamentals of the faith. And he was saying um, uh, that we, he, the first point he really made was we think the way we think, we choose the things that we choose, uh, we do the things that we do largely because we've been taught. That was John Mark's first point. We do the things that we do, we think the way that we think, we choose the things that we choose because we've been taught. And then he goes on to say, He went on to say that we can choose our teachers now. When we're young, our teachers choose us, right? We don't choose the parents we get. We don't choose the the schools that we go to. We don't choose so much of what our life is. We don't, right? That's the part of our life that, you know, if you want to talk like weird theological stuff, predestination. (laughs) We, you know, we get like very little bit of choice. About 99% of what we get is Predestined. We, you know, we we have no control over how tall or how short, um, what color hair, um, our faculties, all that stuff. Right? Life for us is what we make with what we've been given. And John Mark was saying, one of the most important things that we can do is we can choose our teachers. And and he was obviously pointing us to choosing Jesus as the teacher. And then he was taking us back to this fundamental idea that if you if you if you boil Jesus' message down to anything anything at all, the most simplest version of that, it would be that repent, the idea that repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then John Mark took us through this really wonderful way, and I don't have time to to, to go through it today, but he took us through this really good way of looking at the idea of repentance. And how repentance really is, at its bottom, at its base, the idea of change your mind. In other words... In other words, I've been going this way, and I've been doing this thing, but I, all of a sudden I see a better way, a better path, and I change my mind about the path that I've been on, and I change it, and I go this other way. Does that make sense? Does that make sense, everybody with me on where, where John Mark was? Um, so, so he said this, change your mind, change your posture, change your approach, change your conditioning. Something better is available, and that better is what Jesus termed the kingdom of heaven, God's way of doing things. 
Right? And he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is where? At hand. Which means it's right here. Like the, the living room is at hand. Right? This, uh, this, this music stand is at hand. Right? So that's, what, that's where heaven is. Where is heaven? It's always at hand. It's, it's not, we're not fully in it. Right? But it is available. It is near to us. And we can do things now to step into that. And that's what Jesus was talking about. So what I want to talk about today is hopefully one short thing. John Mark um, started his talk on by looking at the Sermon on the Mount and specifically at the Beatitudes. You guys remember that? All the blesseds? All the people who are blessed? Um, so what I want to do is I just kind of want to go to the next section and just focus on one of the things that Jesus talked about. So this is basically just a, hopefully a practical help. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it light, but the thing that I'm talking, the thing that Jesus was talking about wasn't necessarily light. So I'm going to try to make it light. Jokes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> also, here's another thing before I get started. I'm, I'm going to read this, this, passion, this passage. Uh, w- one thing I want to say is, um, you know, this, what I'm about to read, if, if we're really honest with ourselves, this is so counterintuitive and so counter to what we know as human beings that it's easy to miss, okay? And I say that as a human being, a fellow human being who is also fellow breathing the, the same air that you guys are breathing. I have to eat in the mornings to keep my energy up. All the things that you have to do, drink water. Um, so I struggle as well with this. So I'm right along as I read this. We're, we're, we're doing this together. All right, so I want to read Matthew five twenty one. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says... You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. So I'm trying to keep it light. Jesus is trying to keep everything light. He's trying to keep everything, you know, just cool. He's like, you know, trying to like, you know, not like throw the piano on him to begin with. He's just trying to like, you know, here you go, guys. Beginners. Joke. (laughs) Therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there. If you're, if you got something, if you are, if you are getting ready to go and Andy Squires is leading worship and you know that something's been wrong with you and your friend and you're, you're on your way to QCC, you know what? Just turn that train around. That's what Jesus was saying. No, I don't know what he was saying. That's what I was saying. Joke number two. Trying to keep it light, guys. I'm dying up here. All right. Um, So leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offerings. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way so that your opponent may not hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Truly, I say to you, you will not come out of there until you paid up the last cent. Sorry, guys. It's not light. It's pretty heavy. 
Jesus starts out this talk on the Sermon on the Mount by saying, change your mind. The kingdom is available. A new way of doing life is available. Listen to my words. I'm going to teach you a new thing. And I'm going to overturn all your ideas of who's blessed. Right? That's what he starts doing. And then he, and then he launches in to this talk about how to live a kingdom life. And the first, the first, one of the first notes that he sounds about changing your mind is this note about murder and anger. You heard it said, don't murder. And I'm telling you that anger is the same train on the same track. It's just the station is a couple stations behind. And why I'm saying that's so counterintuitive for us is because if we're honest with ourselves, how many of us have anger as our go-to response? Now, here's the deal. I know in a room of this many people, your anger response varies widely, right? You might be the, the kind of angry that doesn't show it on the outside. I'm fine. I'm not angry. But yet years later, you're still bitter at that SOB. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to keep it light. Servant of bondage. Um, Or you might be the kind that just like, you know what? You're like a, 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 a... uh, a match lighting, right? It's all like, bah! and then it's over. It's done. You're, you're over. You've forgotten about it. The person that you just cussed out is not going to, you know, they'll, they'll be mad at you for years, but you're not going to remember it. <laughs> Amen? <Huh? laughs> all right. Just trying to keep it light. Trying to keep it light. <clears throat> That's life. That's for all of us. So, so most of us are on that spectrum somewhere. We know anger, right? Whether it's an inner thing that lasts for a long time, or it's an outer thing that it completely explodes, anger is a part of the human experience. And Jesus is saying, let's get rid of this altogether. And that is insane when you think about it. Right? I mean, if we really are honest with ourselves and not churchy at all, you know, we're really just like dealing with normal day-to-day life. You know, we're not making this about like whatever kind of stained glass thing. We're just thinking about like day-to-day. I mean, imagine being like a football coach. How are you you, going to work with your team without anger? Like, are you crazy? Like, how does that work? You know, you're, you're a CEO. You're a doctor. You're a nurse. You're a tough situation you've got to get somebody to understand like how are you going to how are you going to do that you're a parent your kids about ready to burn themselves on the stove Jesus you're crazy but what Jesus is saying here is that this anger thing It's dire. 
that even the beginnings were playing with the fires of hell. Right? And he's offering us something else. So I don't want to take up too, too, too much time. We're already, we're already pretty close. So I want to look at just one little tiny section. What would be awesome, this is Matthew 5, 21 through 26. If you get really interested in this kind of thing, and you get really interested from learning to Jesus, learning from Jesus, the best thing that I can recommend for you is to, to, go, to go home and read this section, 5, 21 through 26, and turn it over in your mind. Read it a couple times through, and then just walk away. Don't try to understand it in the moment. You know? Go mow your grass or go shopping or something. But keep it, keep it on your mind. Turn it over, over and over and over again. That's how Jesus' teaching works best. So the part that I just want to focus on is this one little s- simple section right here. It says this, Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you're with him on the way. That's all I'm going to focus on. I want, to, I want to pull out what Jesus is doing, what I think one of the things that Jesus is doing here. What's awesome about Jesus is he's so brilliant that his teaching is like giving you a diamond and you get like one thing of it when you're looking at it this way, but then when you turn it this way, it's like there's other brilliance and rich, richness to it. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way. Now, obviously, this is a metaphor. He's not talking about an opponent at law. He's not just talking about law situations. The first thing that I see here in what Jesus is doing is he's saying, do it on the way. This anger thing, if we're going to conquer it, we have to do it in the moment. You know, we're always on the way. What Chris said, transition, that's always... We're always transitioning out of something and into something else, right? When you were a kid, you were transitioning out of toddlerhood into kindergarten. When you were, you know, elementary school into middle school, from middle school into high school, from high school into college or, you know, technical school or job, from job into possibly marriage, from marriage into, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, life is just one big river of transition. So if we wait, then we're, we're in danger. We're in danger of attitudes becoming, you know, set in stone. So number one, I think that what, what Jesus is saying here is there is never a better time to give up your anger than now. It goes back to repent for the kingdom of heaven is where? At hand. One of the things Jesus is constantly doing with his disciples, which is us, is he's drawing us back to the present time. You know that you've gotten off track somewhere if you're worried a little bit too much about what? The future or finding too much beauty in the. If you find a Christian who's very, very nostalgic, or you find a Christian who's overly worried about the future, you found someone who is not. who's gotten a little bit off of the Jesus way. Okay? And I'm not saying that because I have a bone to pick with either of those. I've been both of them. I'm at both of them at the same time. Um, I will always probably, well, hopefully not. Well, <laughs> do you know what I'm saying? We've all been that, right? But you know that you're on Jesus's, you know that you're in the, in the, in the way when you're, when you're right now, when it's at hand. Okay? 
So, here we go. The next thing, it's interesting. He said, make friends quickly. Jesus doesn't really use the words quickly very often. So we always have to pay attention when he uses the words quickly. Okay, the reason that we have to pay attention when he uses the words quickly is because he talks about the kingdom of heaven in exact opposite terms at different points in his ministry and his teaching, right? So for example, you guys probably are, some of you guys are way ahead of me. Jesus says things like, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, for example, right? Which is the smallest seed, but then it becomes, Jesus says, this huge, towering, tree-like thing that even birds can perch in there. And this is a process. This isn't quick. This isn't something that happens overnight, right? And he says again, he says, uh, it's like a little bit of yeast that works its way, you put it in there and it works its way through the dough. Again, this is a process. This is something that happens over time, right? But here's Jesus saying, quickly, Quickly. What's interesting too is this translation of the of the Bible says quickly make friends, and I, you know one of the things when you when you read that quick quickly make friends and settle with your adversary, and you know you have to beg, it begs the question what type of people quickly make friends and what type of pe- people settle with their adversaries? Well, the only people the, the only large group of people that make friends quickly are children. Because truthfully, adults are smart enough to know that you don't do that, right? You got, you know, friendship requires trust and time and da 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 Children, they're not like that. They can be friends with someone the first time they meet them. And I don't know that, that Jesus is saying, you know, throw your wisdom out the window and just like give your heart over to any, you know, person on the street, right? That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is you approach things with humility, with the beginner's mind. Right? Even after you have attained wisdom, the way to true wisdom is continually putting yourself into that position of a child. Putting that position of not knowing everything. Right? Because one of the things that I've noticed that when I get angry with people, it's because I'm making a judgment call, right? It's because I think I know everything. Because I think I understand everything about that situation. Right? Second, Who's, what kind of person settles matters before uh, quickly? People who are guilty. I mean, let's just be honest, right? It, think about a high-profile case. I'm not going to call any out because I'm sure you guys have like a Rolodex of high-profile cases that you've read about in the news over the last five to ten years. If you see that someone settles out of court, what do you think? I mean, what's, what's your first... What's your first reaction? When you see, when you see pop entertainer uh, settles out of court uh, with uh, young kids' parents, what do you think? Well, we know what actually happened, right? That guy was guilty. So what's interesting here is Jesus is saying, put your side on the side of guilt. Put yourself on the side of humility. Put yourself on the side of being wrong. Don't be wronged. Put yourself on the side of being wrong. Now what Jesus is not saying here, you know I can hear the objections already. And I I actually understand because I have all those objections. You don't know what this person did to me. You don't know what this person did to me. It's true. It was awful. 
But will anger be the thing that helps that situation? That's the question to ask. All right. So here's a few tools, I think, from this thing here. So number one, humility, right? Make friends quickly. Settle with your adversaries. Have humility. Number two, the second tool, while we're on the way, always, always, always try to be in the moment while we're in the way. Third tool is while we are with him. One thing that anger often does is dehumanize, right? All of us, if we are angry at someone, we begin to take someone's humanity away from them. They become only an object for hurt, right? That person is only a person to hurt me or to hurt others. And that's the only way that we ever see them. Ever had a boss that you really couldn't stand? Have you noticed how quickly you just, you just turn that person into an object of just scorn in your own mind and you just slowly pull away all of their humanity they are not complex individuals anymore right they're not people with histories they're not people who are you know at least as fallible as you are they're just the enemy they're the opponent and that's where we have to turn these things over that's why we have to love our enemies by the way Because when we have enemies, what do we do with them? The only way you can kill somebody is to dehumanize them. So being with someone doesn't necessarily have to mean physical presence. Okay? In some cases, your anger is justified and the thing that that person has or is doing to you is not correct, is not right. Jesus isn't saying that. And it doesn't mean that we need to get back into the room with them to let them hurt us again. But what it does mean is that our anger is not the thing that will fix the situation. And taking their humanity away isn't either. And it's definitely not the kingdom. So back to the objections. In James 1.20, it says this, The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That's another really good verse to turn over and over and over and over and over again in your mind. You know, some of these these teachings are just best done for a long time. You know, just to like trot them out in our minds and think about them in different situations. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know what's interesting about the anger of man? It does produce righteousness. Uh, I, I know I've seen it a million times. I know you guys have seen it. You know, you get angry and, you know, you see people lose weight because they get angry. You see people um, get out of, you know, hurtful domestic relationships because they're angry. You see people um, fight on the cause of justice because they're angry, right? We see that. We see that time and time again. And some of these things accomplish good things, right? And I won't take that away from it. But what I will say is at least from the biblical side of things and I don't understand how all this works but according to James and it seems like according to Jesus anger does not produce the righteousness of God it may produce the righteousness of man but it doesn't produce the righteousness of God in today's terminology that means that that righteousness is not sustainable it's not long term 
It's not green. <laughs> uh, a lot of times the anger of man, the kind of righteousness that it produces, also produces the kind of fallout that people, other people get hurt in the process. Right? All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm so close to wrapping it up. Here, so here we go. So what do we need to do to, if, if we are serious about being Christ followers? How do we proceed? Can we suddenly will ourselves to not be angry in every situation? No, God, no, no. It doesn't happen overnight. Jesus wants us to, to quickly, he wants us to do it now, Right? But he wants us to move towards being the kinds of people who are not angry in the moments. But doing it in the moment, do you know what, what that will turn you into? I, t- I guarantee you it will turn you into a Pharisee in about 2.5 seconds. Okay? It will all about, be about self-righteousness. It won't be about God's righteousness. It w- Jesus used this great phrase that I, that I just love. It's another one of those ones that you could turn over and over in your mind for like you know, two decades and you'd still not have your head all the way around it. He says, clean the inside of the cup first and then the outside of the cup will be clean. But he says, and basically he's saying that most people, what do we do? Somebody yells at you and rather than yelling back, you go like, I'm not going to get angry. And then you go back home and you know what you do. You know how it leaks out. I mean, you know, like, I grew up in a religious context. Man, I knew so many angry... Pat, my dad um, is a theology professor. And um, at least one of the reasons that I never <laughs> went the way that he did and, like, got into ministries, because, man, I knew so many, like, angry... I mean, you know, they were nice to you on the outside. But I knew so many angry ministers and, you know, guys that were, like, about this far of being happy, and then right underneath their surface, it was just, like, anger all the way down. That's not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that was 12-year-old Eric making a decision. Um, but the correct way to do it is to clean the inside of the cup. And cleaning the inside of the cup is doing it over a long period of time and doing it with conscious means outside of the moments. When you don't need to not be angry, that's when you need to be working on your anger. How do I do this? Okay. Number one, we need to begin to imagine life without anger. What would it look like? How would it feel if I could live a life without anger? You know, one of the most important things as a Christian is, uh, in my opinion, holy imaginations. You know, the ability to imagine a better world, ability to imagine what the kingdom life might look like. So we can do all these thought experiments. How could I be a good parent without anger? Could I be a good parent without anger? What would that look like? How would I discipline? How would I keep my kid from burning themselves on the stove? How would I show my, my, my child uh, that I was displeased? Would I have to fundamentally change who I am to be a good parent without anger? I, I don't know the answer to these questions. I'm just saying these are the kinds of things that, that you, we, should, we should begin to ask ourselves. How, how would I parent? How would I be a boss? How would I be a boss without anger? Could I be a boss without anger? Could I manage well without using anger? Could I manage without using anger? Could I be a politician without anger? Could I get the people to follow me or vote for me without using anger? 
I don't know. All I'm saying is Jesus seems to be telling us that it's not the thing that's going to work. At least not in the long kingdom scenario. So that's what we need to do. We need to think about that. Here's one more way that we can start to live outside of anger. We can start, act, start asking ourselves, well, Jesus, did you live without anger? And if so, how? And if so, give me some, you know, give me some scenarios. I don't know. Might I suggest to you that Jesus on the cross is one of the most wonderful pictures of a person who has learned to live the human life without the response of anger. And you know what, you know what living a life without the response of anger is? It's people killing you and you forgiving them. Now that's not, some, that's not where we start. <laughs> we can't. We, we, we buckle under the pressure. But that's where we want to end. All right. That's it for me. This morning, what I'd like to do right here at the end is pray for us that we could possibly begin to live whole sections of our lives without anger. That's what I'd like. So if you're with me, and some of you might not be, and that's okay, honestly. You might be a little skeptical of Jesus at this point. Or, let's put it this way, you might be skeptical of my reading of Jesus. Right? And that's perfectly fine. But all I would ask you is to go back to the text, go back to the Sermon on the Mount, read through this stuff, turn it over and over again in your mind and see if, is this true? Because if it's not, it's not. But if it is, this is huge. All right, let's pray. Lord, number one, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his wisdom. Thank you that we still don't really understand him. Not completely. But Lord, help us understand. We might not believe this, but help us in our unbelief. We might not get this, but help us get this. And God, I ask to whatever degree that we can, help extract anger out of our hearts, out of our minds, out of our souls, out of our bodies, out of our very postures, out of our body language. Man. And replace it with holy love. I just ask that you would give us an extra dose of kindness, of patience, of grace, of long-suffering, of hope, of that 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love that Paul described. And I ask that it would just sit lightly on our shoulders. That it wouldn't be like some awful thing that we have to carry but it would just feel light and it would feel like you. Lord, you're so good. Keep us in your way. Amen and amen and amen. And thank you, Eric. That was awesome.
Uh, we've got ministry teams. If anybody would like prayer for healing or...